Welcome to Let's Get Uncomfortable, a running podcast where we shake out and purposely go off track on any and everything related to our favorite hobby. Get ready to get uncomfortable along with our guests, because growth only happens outside of your comfort zone. Here are your hosts, Ines Babea, Jamie Chen, and Nathan Schiller. Hello, I'm Jamie Chen. Hola, I'm Ines Bebea. Hi, I'm Nathan Schiller, and welcome to Let's Get Uncomfortable. Our guests today are Mix Pele and Raquel Roman, two Chicanas from LA and the founders of Running Mommies. LA has a great history with running. The first marathon was held in 1986 after the success of the Olympic Games in LA in 1984. Yeah, that's right, Jamie. So our sports legacy segment today is from 1988, when two Mexican runners won the LA Marathon. That year, Martin Mondragon and um, on the women's side, Blanca Jamie won. Uh, Martin's time was 2:10:19, and Blanca's 2:36:11. Very impressive victories. Um, Mishpe and Raquel, I was wondering, start us off. What do those victories mean for you? Do you think about them? Do you know about them? Well, those are aspirational victories right there. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, running for us as a community, especially for us who, you know, still are tied to our indigenous roots means so much, right? It, it wasn't just uh, of a way of sport. It's, it's a way of being, of existing and of, of living. And so to see, you know, our communities also participating in something so so big and that is recognized worldwide and seeing such victories like I said I mean it's really inspirational for so many of us in in not only you know achieving these kind of goals but also continuing it through through something that's been ingrained in our in our being yeah I would just add that like when you say 86 88 I think about the political climate during that time and how during that time, there was lots of people, immigrants coming to to LA. Um, so it almost seems radical that these two Mexican men, a man and a woman, um, had that time and that they had the time to dedicate that to running um, because there was so much going on. There was refugees coming from El Salvador, the Reagan administration. So it, it just, it feels really empowering to hear, to hear the names, to hear their time. So Mishpe, you grew up in Ball Heights, but went to school, high school in Pasadena, a predominantly white high school. Tell us about your experience there and what you saw in regards to the athletic opportunities that the high school had. Well, um, and in sixth grade, I had that rare opportunity to attend those schools. And in attending those schools, it literally, I felt like I crossed borders, you know, within uh, what would be considered what a 15 minute drive. But for me, it was much longer because I had to take the public transportation. But, um, but going to those schools, you know, really showed me what a huge, um, like inequity existed within education opportunities for our uh, students of color and just, you know, people with a lot more affluent and, and money in, in particularly schools I went to. I mean, we're talking about the school had lacrosse teams, right? Where, where um, that they've been doing this for, for years, you know, and, and have access to horses, right? And <laughs> in stables and things of that sort, which is, you know, really mind boggling for me. And, um, and just, 
you know, and beyond all the other sports. And for myself in attending those schools and having to be on the bus by six o'clock in the morning just to be able to make it to school on time and oftentimes being late because bus was, buses would break down, uh, sports was not an opportunity for me. I did it one year. My dad had to take me to school and I had to be at practice at six o'clock in the morning when he still had to go to work. And he told me that it was not going to happen again. He's like, I'm sorry, but you know, this was a really rare opportunity. And it's not going to be something that's going to be possible for us, for our family to provide for you um, because obtaining the education I was going to obtain there academically was priority, right? And it was a, even a huge sacrifice for my whole family to orchestrate to make it possible. So, I mean, there was a lot of things I wish I could have done because at those schools, there were such big opportunities. But the reality for my situation at that time was that it, it wasn't a possibility. Uh, I think we'll come back to a lot of those themes, but I want to just hear Raquel, like, how does your experience contrast? You grew up in, in Chinatown in LA, is that yeah, right? I, and mm-hmm. what was, was your high school like? Yeah, I was born in, in Chinatown and in LA, and that is where my, my grandparents first migrated to, and that's sort of where, that's where they stayed to live, where, that's where they stayed to work, that's where my parents met. Um, and, and then once we, you know, my parents got married, we moved to Rampart area. So we, I live literally all over LA and San Fernando Valley. Um, and, and then those formation years, I went to Huntington Park High School, which is Southeast LA. And it was predominantly Latino. Uh, when I went, when I graduated and went to college, I went to the Valley and complete culture shock. I had never seen anybody else that wasn't Latino. Um, and so that, that took some, some getting used to um, and, and, and just learning from other cultures. Um, and, and then just being in college, right? Like I, I realizing that I was poor, like I, I hadn't realized I was poor until I went to, to, school, to the University of Northridge and, and I didn't have a meal pass, I didn't have, or I didn't have money to go out and eat with my friends. Um, my dad would buy me like those 10 pound like bags of rice so I could cook in my dorm. Um, so it was just really eye-opening to, to realize for the first time that I didn't have, like that I came from a poor family. And that wasn't until I was like, cause I was so sheltered living in, in Huntington Park with my mom and, and all my other friends that had similar struggles. And then when you're out in the real world and you get to compare like, oh, you can't travel, you don't have a car. Um, so many um, just differences amongst the people I went to school with. Meeks Bay, I just wanted to just kind of bounce back around and you know, hearing about the challenges you went through so young and also having that long commute, it meant that you learned time management early on but how did the high school experience impact you after you graduate? Does that experience give you a different perspective as a teacher? Yeah, absolutely. I it's the reason why I became a teacher. You know, um, seeing um, how some of my peers' families could support them by hiring professional writers to write their college application essays, uh, and not even being able to have my own family edit my own, you know, or help me in the process is, is just, I mean, I don't even think I need to say anything more beyond just saying that, right? It's, it's, uh, it's just so unfair. And um, 
you know, I had a call, we had one college counselor for just a very few amount of, of girls that went to that school. And her only job was to help every single one of us to apply anywhere we wanted to apply for a college. And when I told her I wanted to apply to UCLA, she told me that she was not going to give me the application because it was a long time ago. I'm not going to date myself, right? But it was pre-internet. <laughs> and uh, as she said, she was going to give it to me because she wanted to spare me the pain I was going to feel in being uh, not accepted to the uh, university. And so I took the application myself. I applied. And I got accepted and my big, um, you know, kind of, re not revenge, but just, I mean, the reality is I just showed it to her and she had nothing else. Like she just felt like, a, you know, I'm sure like a fool right at that moment. But um, so just seeing all of that and, you know, just seeing straight up, like the, all forms of racism take place and classism and xenophobia and so many different things, especially because of the stereotypes that some of the, my peers had because I was from Royal Heights and definitely administrators and, um, and people who made it possible because I mean we went I went there on a scholarship so you know it was their school token right to to diversify their school campus so that that really made me realize like you know it's not right that I'm one of the few lucky ones in my community it should never be that way and everyone should have access even regardless of money you know or financial situations to so many different things that are out there and so that's what just really like propagated that desire and that that fire to be able to be in education in the future and to uh, and to you know try to make it a better experience for for the students especially in our community because that's where I, I I'm the I have the privilege to be a, a teacher in Boyle Heights now too so so that's kind of um you know it's it's the way for our people to take care of each other right in our communities it's almost full circle yeah yes. Yeah, I was going to um, ask about that. How did, so now that you are a teacher, but you are a teacher and a charter school for, I think you said, like Indigenous children. I was a teacher uh, for 13 years in an Indigenous charter school in a Sereno. And, um, and it was just amazing to be able to, to work with other youth. It's the only school that also teaches Nahuatl to the students. At one point, it, had, it was quadrilingual. They were teaching English, Spanish, Nahuatl, and also Mandarin. Um, but, you know, it was, it, it was a great place because it was, uh, and it still exists, um, it's a school that just is really strong in, in their community base and then also just, you know, um, honoring students' full identity, which is like the number first, the first thing that anyone should honor in, you know, in a person. Raquel, I was wondering if you could talk about your um, work in social work and, you know, draw some parallels to what Mishpe is talking about, um, like how you got into it, how... Um, all the things that you saw and why you went into that and yeah um, I think growing up in LA I I started first like first I, start, I started seeing the house early on in, in my 20s um, and then I went to school came back and when I came back um, I really I you know it was, it was it's interesting that that I was taking a walk around the neighborhood in El Sereno and there's this park, Lincoln Park, and there was so many tents. And I was like, what is going on here? And there was all unhoused people um, living at the park. And so around that time, I started volunteering at a, a local church in Chinatown, by Lady Queen of Angels, La Placita, which is, I would say recognized as one of the, like, the centers for immigrant um, individuals, immigrant families that first come to LA, like that's where you go to get help. That's where you go get referrals. 
Um, so I started work volunteering there um, with the youth program and um, and through the youth program, we started serving the unhoused people around that area, which at the time, I mean, it's grown so dramatically. At the time, I would say there was like about 100, 150 around the area on the church that stayed. And now it's like 10 times that. Um, and, and so seeing just that there was this huge need, um, I think I've always just sort of been like had a service lens. And that's an interesting uh, segue because I know pre-starting the show, we did talk about how COVID and in-home school learning had pulled back the veil on the inequities that children have. Um, I guess I could ask both of you, how did the differences in resources and these types of resources impact children's involvement in sports? And um, I guess, how do you have representation as Chicano runners? I mean, I, I think for for cho for the kid like the kids in my in the neighborhood I live in East LA um, and so you know when when the world shut down and sometimes in Mar in March or LA shut down everybody went home so all the sports stopped everything stopped um, running mommies we just stopped we stopped meeting and it was one of the places like where our kids would come together to to run um, to play. Yeah, I know that. I mean, something that I did see that was nice is that, uh, like, there's a big, and at least in California, there's a big, in Southern California, organization called Students Run LA, and, uh, and they train, right, students to be able to run the LA Marathon, and uh, they were impacted because they didn't have as many students do, running it, but they still ran, which was amazing to see, and so people were writing letters to the students uh, to, you know, to cheer them on and support them. And, uh, and they still ran the alley marathon virtually in March, which was so awesome. So, so awesome. Um, so even just seeing that happening, you know, something that, that was hopeful, right? That kind of gave us some sense of normalcy, especially for students who were, who have been involved in students randomly or who wanted to, and, you know, potentially felt like they couldn't. So, I mean, as teachers, we got creative and we would, you know, just sometimes have like, um, like I have mindful Mondays and we do different things, whether it's like meditating, doing yoga stretches, you know, but just having movement of some sort. And so I think, you know, everyone just got creative in their own different ways of, of how, how is it that we can still keep moving? So, you know, not just to, you know, be physically fine, but even like to release that stagnant energy that we have, especially because of the pandemic too. And I guess we can piggyback a little bit as far as like, you know, you both have discussed like what access and being able to witness the inequities as you guys were growing to like high school and then college. Um, what impact do you, did you see? Did you see that as well as you, when you both started running, did you see people who look like you running in the streets? How did that impact, impact you? And how did you feel when you were out running? Yeah, I, I think for me, when I started running, I was in my early 20s. And um, I started running, I think I shared that I started running with my youth group. And, um, and, and so that we were all Mexican, Latino kids or young 20 year olds running together. Um, but if you we separated and we weren't in that group, I would say I didn't see anybody else that looked like me. I'm, I'm a Chicana. Um, I would say I don't have the typical runner body. I'm not like, well, people say, or 
they get, when people ask me, oh, you're a runner or, oh, you're a vegetarian. Um, because I don't have that lean stereotypical body that people have. And so I always get that look, even this morning I was like stretching and I had an alley marathon shirt and I cringed because a man asked me like, Oh, are you a runner? I'm a, yeah, I belong to a mom running group and I'm going to take off running right now. But you just like, cause you already know, like what people are thinking. Oh, you don't look like a typical runner. Really? You could run. And so, so I would say no, like people like oftentimes don't look like me. Um, but ever since, you know, the creation of running mommies and becoming a mom, you know, your body changes. I, I felt, I feel more comfortable in my skin. I, be, I turned 40 and I definitely like, this is a runner's body. Um, this and but that was that only came after running mommies and seeing all these other moms come together um where i started seeing other people that look like me other women that look like me yeah and and i think it's also too because when we started running you know there it wasn't at least there weren't it wasn't the big fat and and you know and it's become more than that right of like uh, of running groups right there weren't that many running groups it was just people independently running and uh and that really hadn't the whole running group or running community hadn't exploded yet in, in the way that it has now which is so amazing to see and so definitely for me i had the same experience too i was uh i was the only person that looked like me running which made me very self-conscious as a woman especially too because you know I, I felt really restricted as to like where can i run at what time can i run right do i uh, am i gonna run by myself and what does that really mean if i'm gonna run a trail uh, I'm going to get a, a sharp stick that, you know, if I need to defend myself, then I need to defend myself with it. Right. And so, um, you know, I need to start taking self-defense classes too. And, and just like all these other, other realities. And, um, because the thing too is for a long time, even for myself, I didn't run because I was so engaged in community organizing. And I, I just like, I felt like there, there was no time for running because there was just so much that needed to happen and needed to, to be done. And it's still, like Raquel said, it's, there's still such a big need, but I hit a point of, uh, of just a burnout, right? Where it was just too much. And I said, I need to do something that I, that I love and that I've always wanted to do that I feel will bring me that balance. And that's why I started running. And that's why I haven't stopped since then, because it's been like the new, like evolution in my own self as a, as an educator and, and an organizer, right? To be able to to help others, we have to help our own selves out to have that balance. And so, um, you know, it, it was challenging at the beginning to, I remember running my first marathon and I didn't have anyone else to run the marathon with because I was the, I was the only one, you know, running the marathon and, um, and it felt really lonely. And it was like a, you know, like a victory that was celebrated, although friends were cheering, but it was just, you know, like a very lonely thing compared to now where we're training with friends, right? We're training with groups of people. And so, it's been really nice to see the evolving of it. And, you know, a, a thing I think really contributes to it is just the, it's again, not accessible to everybody, right? It's not as simple as people claim it to be. Of All you need is a pair of uh, shorts and a t-shirt and some tennis shoes and you get out there and everyone can do it. I mean, it's not, it's just not the truth <laughs> for so many different reasons. Yeah, I, you, you answered all the questions that I wanted to ask about how you got into it um like literally every question but uh raquel like could you also kind of take us through your process and your mindset of 
when you started running, what that was like and how you made the transition from, you know, not being someone who would run to, especially before running explosion and not having the running role models. How did, how did it really happen? And what was that like? I started, um, I think it, I knew I liked running when I was in junior high because I got invited to this day camp at USC. And um, it's just, uh, to me, that's a funny memory because I, I like to run. And at this USC day camp, like they had us run, like there's like, I'm this inner city kid, never ran on a track before, didn't know what it was to jump hurdles. And I'm running and I'm tripping over every hurdle. And it didn't like disempower me. It actually empowered me. I was like, okay, I have to get, I have to get better or do something different. Um, so that's when I, I first knew I loved running. And then um, when this, the, the youth group at my church, when they invited me to like run with them, I was like, well, I guess I could run. I haven't run in a very long time. And the minute I hit the ground, we were running in Legion Park in Los Angeles near Chinatown. The minute my my feet like hit the dirt because it's all dirt dirt um, trails, I like fell in love again with running and then running with a group and, and community. Um, these were uh, my friends from the youth group, all recently arrived immigrants. Um, like they shared their struggles with me while we were running. Uh, that's where I got a lot of my motivation. My friend Carlos Sandoval, he was older than me, and he. Um, he told me about this crazy story where he ran like 50 miles in one day, like from LA to Oxnard. And I was like, what were you thinking? He's like, I just wanted to run, like, like wanted to feel liberated, right? Or after like coming to the US and like his struggle, his migrating struggle, he says, I just kept running. Um, and then he said, and then I got a ride back. So just like, like hearing from friends. So like the passion, even though our stories are very different, like the, our passions, what I found was that the passion for running was similar. Like it just grounded us and made us feel free. Um, and then when was the first time? I mean, we ran our first marathon together, the, that youth group. Um, but again, like, I didn't know, I just ran like I never trained more like 10 you know I think we trained for like six miles at the most and then then we just like ran these 26 miles on a Sunday and because I was young I was okay like I got up the next day I was sore but didn't know what it was to train didn't know what it was to have the proper shoes um, proper socks proper sports bra. I, I didn't know any of that uh, but we did it and then as you know, and, and so that's where like the question of access and who's in your community, who's running, who's talking to you about running, like that's where <clears throat> like it's not accessible to everyone to have that knowledge or. So tell us, how did you guys end up running together? Well, um, I know for us, we originally, Raquel and I met each other through, um, through community organizing. And this was like right after Trump had uh, become became the president a lot of a coalition formed to be able to um, to address how you know how to protect the community because we saw like there were going to be really big ramifications with his with his new position in the office then and so that's where I met Raquel and Raquel's baby was very small then and I saw her being a badass like with her baby wrapped and you know taking 
like, you know, contributing in the meeting. And I was like, wow, I'm like, this woman's amazing. And we just became friends immediately. And, uh, and some time after that, I became a mother myself too. And, um, and I was just thinking like, wow, you know, every, it, everything changes when you become a parent, right? It's like, you know, when, when before when we were running, if you have, you know, you're training for something, I got to be at the, be at, you know, a group run at six o'clock in the morning to train once well, like you get up and you do it. And that when I became a mom, it's like, oh no, I have to now breastfeed my daughter, you know, or I, I even was breastfeeding sometimes my daughter literally right before taking off for a race, you know, <laughs> and, and uh, so everything just changes or you just can't run when you needed to run and you got to go at a different time. And so, um, so seeing all those different realities and seeing a lack of mothers too present in uh, at races, you know, at, at running groups and things of that sort. Um, it just got us thinking, well, what can we do to provide that safe space for women and for, and for uh, mothers too, to be able to, to continue to run or to, to begin to run if they've never had the opportunity to, but they wanted to. And so, so four of us got together, Raquel, myself, Moni, and uh, Raquel Zamora too. And we talked about it and we're like, well, let's brainstorm and make this happen. And we did a simple rinky-dink flyer that we put on Instagram and we put it out there. And we're like, whoever sees it, whoever comes to it will come and um, we'll create, you know, continue creating and manifesting it as, as the group desires. And, and, uh, and it's become so much more than, than we even thought it was going to become. I, I, you know, I want to, I want to ask you, I guess you guys just really enlightened me about motherhood only because I don't have children, but I have a lot of friends who are mothers and I hear them talk about wanting to do things like exercise and they feel really overwhelmed lately because they were left to shoulder a bulk of the responsibilities in the home when they were working from home, watching their children, helping them homeschool. So how do you guys manage your time and what advice, because I'm in New York and I wish that there was a running mammies in New York. And um, what advice can I give them? But how do you manage your time to do all that, to run and manage children? I, I could, I mean, and I was in graduate school too this last year. So, um, and an internship and working full time. So I've been fortunate to have an awesome, an awesome partner who, I mean, he had to work from home. So my son stayed with him initially because initially, Initially, I was an essential worker, so I was working through the pandemic, um, and then, and then, and then switched to working from home. But I, I think prioritizing family time and fam and my son has been key to uh, to at least to us. And and then and then what makes me happy, right? So I get to spend time with my son, my partner. Um, and then the other responsibilities that I have to do. I have, I was, I have to work, um, internship, grad school, um, house cleaning, not a priority. I'm going to be super honest. And then it takes, and then it takes a bunch of support. Like I, yeah, my mom cooking for me, um, uh, for me and my family, uh, it, it just, it takes a village really to make it happen. Like, to to be able to do it all and to hold it all um but yeah really prioritizing that family time and then what makes me happy which a lot of it you know makes and i have been having this conversation lately because <clears throat> i'm going to take on some new responsibilities at work and i was saying 
at first I was just like, what's going to happen? And, and realizing that running mommies is a life source for me and it makes me happy. So I was like, this is a priority. What makes me happy is a priority. Um, so I would just say to, to any mom that's feeling overwhelmed, like first, like we have to take care of our own mental health and figuring out what makes us happy and like, and doing what makes us happy. And then because if we are serving from like an empty glass, that whole saying, like you have to fill your cup first before you serve others. Um, it's just gonna be really hard. It's gonna be really challenging. And so then carving out the time for, for family time, but also for doing, like doing what makes you happy, what fills your cup. And that's a easier said than done for sure. But it's sort of like you have to prioritize yourself as well. Um, and, and sometimes, you know, I'm really good at it. And then sometimes I'm not, I mean, that's the reality. And so it's practice, practice of prioritizing yourself. But that's also life. You know, we all, we all juggle different things. Um, and I think it's interesting that, um, you know, you guys, the name of your group is running mommies, but I guess in, in our group, Nathan is the one who's the dad. So in wonder, like, how do, how do you manage Nathan, how do you manage, you know, having a child and working and being at home and doing also part of the housework and also wanting to run where, when you're not injured? Because I feel like men don't get this question a lot. It's also always the assumption that the woman is going to take care of the child. So Nathan, <laughs> tell us, how do you manage this? You know, I'm the host of this show. I don't, I don't get questions. But it's actually funny what Raquel is saying because my wife... Um, she was pregnant her first semester of graduate school and then took a year off um, and had a few months of, you know, leave in the beginning and then went back and just finished. So she was working full time and going back for a, a second master's um, and trying to run and running until she hurt her knee in a race. And during the races, I would go with a Bob stroller and like follow her around and we would train that way. And also you mentioned family time. I totally agree, like so important, especially in the pandemic. Um, my son was 18 months to two years that we had him at home because he turned 18 months right when the pandemic started. And it really changed, um, you know, my perception of what could, what, what family life should be like. Because in the beginning, you know, if they're going to daycare and you're working, you don't see them that much. Um, so don't even get me started on housework and cooking. Uh, you know, we run, I, I don't want to, I don't know how to say this. It's just totally natural for my wife and I and the, the culture that we grew up in to share all of that. I mean, she's going to listen to this, but she knows that I'm doing most of that stuff. Um, but not out of like, we never sat down and we're like, I'll do uh 58% and you can do, it, it wasn't like that. It's just, you know, we, we run it smoothly, but we talk about it a lot. Um, and we mix in the running somehow. I always talk about this, like the key to me for running while having a family is I have, I set up a lot of logistics thanks to Planet Fitness before the uh, pandemic to run to work and run home from work. And that like allowed me to do stuff. So that way I don't have to leave my family just to like go run, you know, on the weekends. Um, but enough about me. I wanted to come back to mental health in the pandemic. So I know that 
we have been doing some um, Zoom sessions kind of focused on mental health in your group, right? Or so could you talk about that um, and, and just like how, what, what that's like and how you set it up and how it went and how it's going if you're still doing it and how you continue, plan to continue to do it. You want to go for Yeah, uh, I think for us, for Running Mommies, I mean, that was the first and foremost priority to begin with, you know, because um, I mean, despite it being a running group and that's what we do, I mean, the, the running is more, more, was more for our mental wellness period. And so, um, and being able to create, like the beauty of it is that while we did meet in person, uh, it wasn't just the, the women, it was also their children, right? And sometimes it wasn't because the women needed that own, their space for themselves too. And, uh, but having it then become an intergenerational also space, you know, was also uh, something that, that also leads to mental wellness because now, our children are seeing, you know, women empowered to be able to take care of themselves in this way. And it becomes normalcy, something that's normal and not for many of us, we're, you know, children of immigrants who didn't have a choice, like to run was not an option, right? Because there was, they, you know, had to have multiple jobs. It's just, it was a luxury. And so for their sacrifices have enabled us to have choice. And then, you know, we're now contending with things to be able to kind of, you know, deal through some of the traumas that we've inherited because of different things that of uh, being women of color and being also children of immigrants. And so, you know, we're, we're dealing with that through running, through creative, through having, you know, talks. So now when the pandemic happened, um, rather than just not meet, I mean, we obviously did not meet in person, but we went immediately into Zoom and um, we met every single weekend throughout the whole pandemic, every single Saturday with, uh, with women. And the beauty of it was that prior to the pandemic, there was always, um, women reaching out to us from different states asking if we can start running mommies in different states, but we weren't able to because it was just a few of us who had multiple hats and we weren't just in the capacity to do that as much as we wish we could have done that. But the pandemic enabled us to go nationwide and, and we have, you know, women in, in New York, women in Chicago, Arizona, Texas who join us and all over California. And um, through work, we've been able to do just like mental wellness workshops, writing workshops. We've had um, amazing support from, um, from coaches like Cass of Girl Lab who comes and supports us and talks about even just, uh, you know, how to consider like a moon cycle menstruation with running, right? And nutrition that comes with that, you know, that's very specific. And her also being a mother, like, and how, you know, if you are breastfeeding or, you know, your pelvic floor, or anything of that sort, then what are things that you have to think about? Because I mean, even for women, that's a whole other reality that some women just can't snap back, right? Like this whole concept, like, you know, you had your child, you know, now you got to snap back and you can get back into it and work out. And, you know, some women just, uh, it's not that easy because it's, it's not a risk women after giving labor are not respected in the same regards. Like everyone should have a PT, you know, and, and should have access to all these things, but it just doesn't happen. And so the beauty of, of the pandemic and doing these virtual Zoom sessions is that it's enabled us to be able to have sessions and ask the women, like, what do you want to see? You know, what kind of workshops do you want to see? And in addition, throughout the whole pandemic, we've had different running challenges too. So whether it's like you know, running, you know, 30 miles, 60, we're training for a 10K, training for, uh, we actually ran a half marathon in March in honor of one of our running mommies who passed in December to COVID. 
And, um, and so we ran a, a half marathon in honor of her. And that was really a beautiful thing to see and, and um, that we have, you know, women that were supporting each other through the training and, uh, and came together like nationally to be able to honor her and themselves through, through, you know, through this journey. I'm glad that you mentioned uh, how, you know, the horrible toxic culture of like snap back for women after giving birth. And because that is what we see in the marketing. When you see a mom who is running, she is super fit, has the baby on like on, on the hip and like is holding the stroller, always running really fast. So I wanted to know um, for you guys, I know that you've mentioned that you also have women that come with strollers and that's an image that we don't tend to see a lot in groups. Um, so what is the, the running industry missing in regards to like how to market to moms who still want to run, but they have to have their children with them? Like, I guess we can talk about, I know in New York City, it's really hard to be in a race with a stroller. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, you are, you are as the mamas are being denied access. You know, not everybody can have a babysitter and everybody can have someone like at eight o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. So what do you think, both of you as moms, what do you think that the running industry can do more for women who are mothers who still want to be active? I've been thinking about this um, and I don't, I'm not going to burn any bridges, but I really think there needs to be an affordable running stroller. Uh, because not everyone can afford a certain brand. They're really expensive. And so um, a lot of the marketing isn't aimed. I mean, most recently now you see moms of color or black moms, you know, black moms being like with their stroller. But in terms of the Latino market, like, and, you know, just having an affordable stroller for, for moms. Um, I mean, I think that's been one of like the biggest gaps for moms in LA, or at least for some of the running mommies that they can't afford the $400 stroller. And, and so then, you know, they have the, the, some moms have had the plastic strollers, um, and it just makes it so much harder. But if there was an affordable running stroller, um, marketed towards working class moms. I think that would be amazing. Um, and and <clears throat> we have like, I was thinking about writing a letter to someone saying like, like, why isn't this your audience? Like we're out here, we're out, we're out here, we're using your products, but yet like you're not making any effort to, to, to support. Um, and what about in races, like entering races? What is the, the the policy for strollers like I don't know what it's like in LA have you guys been able to run with strollers in a race or how does that work it's super rare I mean if you when you see strollers I mean and that's something that that we're like you know trying like now that things are coming back like that we're contending and thinking about how we can launch a campaign with with strollers and also just for mothers in general too because um I mean, you're, you, when you see strollers being allowed for the most part, it's like a 5K or 10K, right? Um, and, you know, it's rare also to want to run, a, like, I, I'm, I'm going to keep it real. I'm not going to run a whole marathon with a stroller. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Maybe one day I will, right? But even a half marathon, right? And, um, 
but it's really rare. And then even just be, not even feeling comfortable too, because then you feel like, you know, you're, you're in the way, right? Because you take up more space or, I, you know, I mean, the beginning of a race, you're dodging through people when you're running. And so um, not wanting to like, you know, to run over people in a sense, right? So we've even said like, let's get like little, like those bicycle horns to like let people know that we're coming in because then, it, you know, it's like we, we always get pushed to the back, for example, right? It's like, you have to be at the back, that's where you're at. And, um, and you have to wait for everyone else to go through. But I mean, I've done races where there's been appeals with my daughter and I'm pushing through people, you know? And, and, um, and so sometimes it's like, you know, it's, I'm not sorry to say it, but some mamas with strollers are faster than people with no strollers. So there has to be like consideration of where, you know, where can we all fit in this together? And then another thing too, that's uh, very concerning for us for running mommies is the whole policy that exists even with, um, with being able to like, once you register for like bigger races, like to be able to have, um, what's the word? I can't, I'm sorry, I'm blanking out right now, but to be able to, you know, um, move your race to a following year due to pregnancy, right? And so, and not losing that registration, for example, and especially like if you're trying to be a legacy runner and you've been accumulating the years to not lose all of a sudden that position because you because pregnancy now is being seen as something bad, you know, that's impeding you to be able to, to, um, to participate in a race. Because I mean, everyone has a different reality. I, I was really blessed that I ran up until my 39th week of pregnancy and I did two half marathons pregnant and various races, but you know, the very opposite could have happened to me where maybe I wasn't going to be able to run, right? Or, or even coming back to running after my pregnancy. I, I was gung-ho and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this 5k and I got out there with my daughter in the running stroller and my body was like, oh hell no, you're, you're not going to do this yet. <laughs> you know, you're going to walk today. And so, um, you know, just, I think that's something that a lot of races need to contend with too. It's like, changing the policies for women who are either pregnant or post-pregnancy of, um, of not, not losing their, their registration due to that. Those are really good ideas. Uh, it's really amazing that you ran up to 39 weeks. Um, I don't know how you did that. I think my wife would just be like, that's amazing. Um, but what you said, like knowing yourself, knowing your body and when to stop is also key. I was, you brought up strollers. I have to chime in on the strollers. I always, I, th I think the idea of like, why don't, why aren't, there must be a huge market for, you know, these ideas. I'm always a fan of the um, secondhand stuff. Like, I, I wonder if there's anything in LA and I, either of you know with your connections and community organizing about like the market for, you know, old stuff. Our, as soon as we had a kid, I told my wife like, get on all the groups and we're going to find a Bob because... $400 is obscene to pay for it, but there's got to be one in, you know, Brooklyn and Manhattan floating around. And lo and behold, we found, you know, one and I ran over and got it. And it's like, you know, $25. Someone's just giving it away and it's a perfect bot and someone was going to throw it out. And there's no reason that that, you know, quality of a running store should just end up in the garbage. Um, is there any, do you know of anything or like, have you had thoughts about, you know, how to get these, these things going? Yeah. I mean, we've had our own trade. We, right. Like, didn't we have one where we traded like all moms brought stuff to trade. So we do our own trades and there's several groups where, where people can trade items for, for the kids. Um, 
and then just reach reaching out because for a long time you know um all of our pictures had the strollers all of our group pictures are like, oh i want a stroller i want this i want like how do i get one and so lots of publicity uh, <clears throat> so yeah we could definitely of course our community is like we support one another <clears throat> completely and we could support moms but there's also because it was like what is the running market missing so i i do believe they're missing a working club like creating a, a stroller for working class moms that 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 are runners um uh instead of it being this like elite like thing right where only a certain group of people can can buy this brand new stroller like every kid i mean hand-me-downs are amazing i get hand-me-downs hand-me-downs my kid gets hand-me-downs but um like it shouldn't it's okay for a mom to get a new stroller and it's okay for that new baby to get a stroller, a new stroller too, right? And it should be affordable for, for different people to have access to it. Yeah, as I said before, like she mentioned seeing running as a luxury. And then this is like another aspect of that, that if you, if you have a child, you can continue to do this if you can afford to buy the very expensive stroller that later in a year from now you might just get rid of and buy the latest model because you have that luxury but like not everyone is in that market um so i guess you're right like they're they're missing on this huge market of moms who like i still want i want to be active i've you know made it through having the pregnancy and then birth and like this is how i want to get back and work through my postpartum depression and i want to run Mm -hmm. I need to have access. And I think, um, Raquel, you mentioned that you had a tough time after you, the birth of your, your child. Do you want to talk a little bit about like postpartum? Because I know it's also like a conversation that it doesn't happen often, not enough, in a sense. What was yeah, it like? for me, I mean, after having my son, I had a really weird, uh, well, I, issue and Serena Williams had the same thing so I could talk about it openly more comfortable now where my my c-section opened after being home with my baby and that day I had gone to the doctor the doctor said oh no everything's fine so I went home so it was a big surprise whatever you know the the infection that was going on um but then when I was home for recovery you know my husband had to change like there was literally like a hole in my stomach so my husband had to change the house so it was just really traumatizing and i was a new mom i was breastfeeding i was trying to breastfeed um and so whatever happens in the mind the, the different um i was just completely i would say like my, like deep depressed it was like postpartum depression and lots of anxiety and so with that with the anxiety I, I just thought I was not going to be able to run again I would lay, like lay in my bed breastfeeding my baby crying like I'm never going to be able to run again because it was never going to heal because it took a long time to heal um and so you you go through that and and you think you're like the only person going through it at that during that moment you think you're the only person going through that um you could be like the strongest person um but then like all these things happen and it just changes the, your body chemistry and then it just does something to your mind and if you don't seek help like obviously we know that so many things could happen to the mom to the child 
I was, you know, fortunate enough to say like, I, I need help. And I, and I saw, I went to my doctor and they're like, yeah, you, you have PTSD, like not PTSD, sorry, postpartum depression. And, and started going to therapy, um, got what I needed to feel better, to feel like I could be a very, like very engaged and active mom, um, a good mom to my son. Um, but also I think when we, we started running together as running mommies, like how that conversation, it just came up for so many of us like, oh yeah, I had postpartum depression. Oh yeah, I did too. And being able to talk freely about our stories. Um, I think that was really empowering to me. And I don't know that we, we said like when we formed running mommies, like, oh, this is going to be like where everybody comes to heal and tells their stories of birth and like when, when, what went wrong, what went well, but that's what it became. Um, where like moms, yeah, early on. I mean, it's interesting that like Mikspe and I sort of became moms around the same time. And like, like, and then Raquel Zamora too, her, her daughter, um, is like her, her daughter is the same age as our kids. Um, so we all became moms at the same time. So we were able to share those stories with one another. And then new moms started coming with their babies. We, we've had moms that, you know, start running sooner than we did. Cause I, I took at least 18 months and make sure you didn't come back or to running right away either. Right. How old was Mia? Three months, four months. Um, and so, you know, we weren't, and we've had moms that try to come back a month later um, <clears throat> and come and share their stories, uh, what they're going through. So I think it's been a space for healing. And I mean, that's not what we intend. I mean, running, wellness, healing, like, I, I think initially we we're like, let's just start running together. And then it's become this place of healing when we come together. Cause that's what we've heard the mom say, like it just feels good to talk about this, whatever I'm experiencing with another mom. Um, and then we've had moms now that have older kids that are, have kids that are teens. And what they say, oh, is like, oh, I wish I had many mommies when my kids were young. Um, but also for what it, it also seems like when they share their stories, it, it's like, even if it's a decade later, it brings some sort of healing to the experience of, of motherhood, um, whatever happened early on. Sorry, I said a lot, and I, don't, I hope some of it made sense. Um, but it, it's definitely, I think it just helps going through something together versus you trying to handle it on your own. There's like that strength in numbers, and I think the mental health, the be like stepping into motherhood not alone, but with the community is very empowering. So how many <clears throat> members do you guys had running with you before the pandemic, um, kind of when it sent everything into lockdown? And how often did you meet to run? I mean, we started literally with our first run with maybe like 10 women, right, that showed up. And, yeah. then, um, and then with time, it became like 20 and it was like 25. And I would say we had a good, like, solid 30 for a while. And then um, in, what was it, January pre-pandemic, we, we became um, a part of the whole um, 
LA 13, that what Nike was doing for um, the half marathon that they were going to have in March of 2020. And so um, with that, we had over on our first day that we had to initiate like a kickoff to train, we had over 100 women who showed up. And uh, we had like about 150 women that were training with us for, for, that, mar for that half marathon in particular. And so um, since the pandemic, we've in, in the Zoom sessions, we'll have anywhere between five to 30 women that'll show up through Zooming. Um, but through the challenges that we're doing, we oftentimes have like 200, over 200 women who are participating from, from different parts of the US in the runs themselves. You know, and everyone, and we're so understanding. I mean, it's the thing, right? Like sometimes you can show up and sometimes you can't show up due to different uh, obligations. And, and even just with the pandemic, just the different realities that we've had to be, like give ourselves grace, right? I think that's the thing too, with the question earlier, it's like, like something that's helped a lot of us and personally myself is just like, you have to give yourself grace during this time. And, you know, and big lesson of parenthood is that things don't always go as planned, right? And, and being okay with that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think earlier when you and I spoke, you mentioned that you were part of a, a panel with Nike, like a legacy panel. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about my, more about that? What does that mean? And what did you get out of being part of like a panel and like with the running industry? Well, something that, was, that has been a really awesome experience and opportunity for running mommies is um, before even the legacy panel, we were able to collaborate with them and we were actually in a, in a campaign here in Los Angeles to promote a new running shoe that was made more affordable for the community and they sold it out of the East LA running store. So there's actually even a picture of us all running with our children in a stroller, like a huge blown size picture of us in the Nike store in East LA. We need that photo, please. We need that photo. Okay, okay. <laughs> we'll get it to you. <laughs> Yeah, and so we were able to be part of that campaign, but it was really awesome because beyond it promoting, the, you know, their shoe, um, it was actually a, uh, an opportunity to provide for, what was it, three months almost uh, at the Nike community store with also the East LA runners. We were able to offer um, Dia de la Familia runs where on the weekends, on Sundays, people would go to this Nike store and we would, they would collectively organize uh, a, anywhere between a one to three mile run throughout the community. And we would give, they, uh, Nike would give them food and things of that sort, but it just became something awesome because then more parents came out with their strollers and, um, and grandparents too, and just a whole communities formed out of that. And so from that, we went to, we were invited to go to the Nike Legacy Summit for women. And so Raquel and myself, just as uh, you know, leaders of, of Running Mommies, where we met with other women who were also playing a role in not only just running, but different sports um, in particular throughout Los Angeles. And from there, they asked me to be one of the, of the I guess, ambassadors um, for, for the actual LA 13.1 that was happening. And so through that, it was nice because we were able to, you know, get access to, to different coaches, trainers, and whatever we learned was, was immediately shared with running mommies. Like, because even Raquel shared before, you know, we ran and we knew, okay, you, every week you increment, you know, you're running as you're training, but we didn't know the full gamut of like, okay, this is really how you got to take care of yourself nutrition wise, or this is, you know, these are fartlets, right? And this is your speed run and tempo runs and just all the different things that go with it. And, you know, what's the proper running form? What's your proper breathing posture? All these things. So we were able to learn so much and, and uh, through that, through that, uh, those collaborations, and we are able to take all of that back to running mommy. So 
So that's really like even shifted. Even some of the women in our group have said like, you know, they've been running for years, but it wasn't until much later. They're like, wow, like now, you know, I'm running pain free. Like, oh, okay, now it's like it, there's, I'm seeing myself progress and it just, it, it, it ignites all the women to be able to, to have that access to that information. And I'm glad you brought up collaborations because I saw when I first heard of you guys is when uh, Verna from Native Women Running was hosting um, a run for International Women's Day. And then I saw that there were other women-led groups, when I think is really interesting because we don't see it enough. Um, so I wanted to know why was it important for you to par partner with, with Native Women Running, Trailblazers, Latino Running, and even Yamecas? I think for us, it was important because as community organizers, collaboration is, is key. And so if, if women, I mean, I think there's just still a lot of work to do in terms of highlighting um, the, there's so many atrocities against women. So it's so, so important to create space where women come together to see that there is sisterhood, to see that there's solidarity. Um, so th that was an opportunity that I, I don't think we, we could miss. And, and you know, that, that it, collaboration is just really important to bring us together and to highlight issues. We weren't, I mean, it was International Women's Day. So there's still so much work again to be done to, for like the liberation of women all across the world. Um, and so, there's just real strength in, in numbers. And I think that's what everybody was like, oh, that we could collaborate because usually there's so many stereotypes about women working together and, and not working together, because, but that we were able to do it. Um, I think that it was really important that we came together as an opportunity. Yeah, and, and I know for us, like in Running Mommies and even just Raquel and myself personally as, as runners too, like you know, the running with intention, right, is a, a whole other thing. Like, you know, there's a lot of people who run for themselves or personal healing or to get that PR, right, or to get all of the medals on the wall, which, you know, don't get me wrong, I also love too. But, um, but you know, but also the running with intention, like we've been able to, you know, have a lot of grounding within our own communities. Like there's something called the Peace and Dignity Runs where people run from the northern tip of Alaska and southern tip of uh, South America and they run until they reach a center point and and they decide every uh every couple of years where it's going to be at because they're prayer runs that happen uh throughout these lands for for you know the communities that they're running through and so we've been able to participate in those um when they run through los, the los angeles area uh in the past couple of years or just you know different community runs that have existed like at the border for to address issues of immigration right and um and just, uh, I mean, I think that like the running with intention has been really great. So when we saw that opportunity happen with the women, we're like, yeah, this is, especially in the pandemic, right? Uh, it's, it was even like so much more needed um, because of so much, so much uh, pain that a lot of people were going through, you know, and anxiety and things of that sort. So we're like, yes, this is, this is, you know, we're excited to do it because then we know this is a possibility for so much more in the future too. So you both ran the LA Marathon for your first marathon. What is next on the agenda for you as far as marathons? I, I want to go to Hawaii and run a marathon there one day. <laughs> or I mean, if I go to Hawaii, I'm just staying there, but okay, <laughs> for life. And I want to do like Mexico City at some point. Um, 
Yeah, that's what I have on my bucket list. But and, not, and again, not for a PR, but just for the experience, for the fun. Yeah, for myself, I mean, I have the life uh, bucket list to be able to run all the races, right? To get that whole, like all the major races of, what is it, the eight races, right? Of the whole world to be able to uh, to get the big, nice medal. <laughs> but, you know, I'm going to give six, myself this. The six star, six right? star Abbott. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. The world majors. majors. Yes. Six. Yes. Yeah. Six of them, exactly. So, um, so that's in my bucket list to do. But I, I did sign up for two marathons in the fall. The the alley marathon, which you know has kept getting pushed and pushed, uh, which now is gonna be in the fall. And then I signed up for the virtual Boston because I'm not quite there yet to PR for the Boston. And I, you know, even this year, so many people that were didn't didn't make the cut, right? Because of uh, the changes with the time. Um, but I'm gonna run the Boston um, virtual marathon, so so that's gonna happen. But before that, we're excited because we we um we also as running mommies are doing um when is it the weekend of the 19th? We're doing a a relay virtual relay marathon race, and so we're you know we're hoping that this gives the opportunity because we still haven't gotten together to run as a group yet, just because we have children involved, right? And and everyone feels different um, differently about running in person or not running in person. So we're hoping that this provides an opportunity at least for women to congregate in smaller groups to be able to have that, you know, that experience to run together again. And um, and then that way we can start like slowly building up to, to collectively meeting again in the larger uh, span because there are we hopefully will be training a group of women to run the marathon, some marathons in the fall too. All of that sounds really exciting. And before we get out to the hot mic session, I want to go in the other direction, not to, you know, the future of all the marathons, but to your kids one more time. Cause you know, once you get parents talking about kids, that's really all there is to talk about. Um, but seriously, how do you talk to your kids about running given the experiences that you had as, you know, kids um, not being runners as much and now the experiences you have as, as mothers and adults and, you know, what do you say to them? You know, something that's really awesome that like is one of my biggest joys, I think, and especially in, in now as, as a mom is that I say that my daughter was running since the womb, you know, and, and my parents often make fun of her. They're like, poor, poor, uh, poor Mia. She like probably was holding on for dear life as you were like running races and all. But, um, but, you know, as soon as I was able to, I took her out with me and it's just, it, like I said, it's something that she just became accustomed to like the state park where we run at, that's the running mommy's park. That's what she calls it. You know, and as soon as she was able to, get off the stroller and run, she runs. And so she loves to run. And, um, and it's so awesome to just see how, how, um, how even herself, like, oh my God, it's like, wow, you really have good running form and you're only three and a half years old. Like, I'm jealous. It took me over 40 years to develop that. But, uh, but you know, it's, it's awesome just to, to see that spark in her own eye and, and not feeling that it's like, I'm pushing it on her, right? But that, that she, that she likes it. And, and she likes it because it's, it's where her community is at, even at that age, you know, where it's been at. It's like, it's running mommies and her, her uh, primas and primos, her little cousins who are other, like Raquel's son, you know, and all these other mamas, uh, children, like those, those are, and they're all her tias too. So she has, she's like blessed to have a legion of phenomenal fierce tias to, to look up to. So, so that's been something 
it's just it, it like brightens my heart so much to see that and and the same for all of i think i would say no right rebecca for the children of, of running moms too yeah i def completely agree with yeah everything you've said i you know for me i have a son so it's been um I feel like I have a responsibility to raise a feminist and and giving like showing him or for him you know being 18 months and then coming to the space where it's all woman-led and then he has his little cousins and like that are like Mia who's a little girl and then um, Valentina his other little friends from the running mommy space um, it's it's been incredible because he he sees us as like I don't know, like he looks up to all of us, to his tia Mikspe, his tia Berta, like they're all his tias too. And it's really, um, I, I, um, yeah, like I, 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 I have this responsibility to show him, like to show him to be a feminist, but then it becomes so easy with like all these amazing women in our, in our circle, in our life um, with, with the running mommy's face. Um, he also calls Running Mommies the park, the LA Historic Park. He calls it the Running Mommies Park. Um, like we drive by, he's all, this isn't the Running Mommies Park. Um, and he also has just started running. Like it's not one of those things where um, it bec it's become a natural thing in his life where I'm like, okay, let's, do you want to go running? Yes. And, and sometimes he doesn't. But when he's out there, he, you know, I remember the first time he ran his first mile. I, I think he was like three or at, at some point, right? Like he was like three or, and I was just so proud of him because he did it. He wanted to do it. It wasn't something that I said, oh, you have to go or, you know, he did it. He's like, I want to run with you, mom. So he's become one of my favorite running partners. Well, that's great. That's going to lead us to somehow we always end up at this point this spot very naturally after talking for like in about an hour and then we get to the the last segment of the podcast which is called hot mic and this is where you get to speak uninterrupted for two minutes to leave our listeners with a final thought yeah and since today we have two of you we thought we would continue with our tradition of whoever has the earlier birthday in the year can go first When's my, oh yeah. Oh man, so talk about anything uninterrupted when it comes to, <laughs> I feel like I'm gonna test. <laughs> anything that you want, it doesn't have to be running related. It could be what you saw as a student, what you saw, what you wanted to do as a teacher, the impact that you feel that you had, that what the children needed. Um, you talk about, you can talk about like your, your Chicana culture, enlighten us. Um, Anything that you want for two minutes. Oh, goodness. So much. Um, oh. I mean, I guess for myself, you know, I just, I, I just want to say that I hope that people continue to, to, you know, give themselves grace right now, especially as we're opening things up, right? There's like this, everyone's level of comfortability is so, so different, but everyone's, has gone through so many different things. And so I think like, you know, as we open up everyone reaching, like reaching out to other people is, is so important, right? Asking for help is so important. We're still, we're still in a pandemic. <laughs> it's something that still is a reality for us. There's a lot of us. I mean, I think of my own students and 
my students, you know, some of them had COVID and they were in class, right? Or lost family members and were still in class. And, and for us to kind of, um, I think it's so easy as a society to bring each other down and to, to have all these expectations of each other. Like they're saying, you know, students have lost a year and it's like saying that you lost a year is negating all that they've gained within a year. Like they're all now technology experts that we were, you know, that I think it was easier for them to make the transition than many of us as adults too. So, um, so I think that that's something important. And I, and another thing is just to, to continue to, you know, to mobilize in, in whatever capacities, especially for our own self, for our own mental wellness, but then also for each other and our communities, because there's, there's always a lot of work to do, but there's also um, something I think, especially for myself growing up as an organizer, we never valued our, our own joy too, right? And our own mental wellness. And we would just work ourselves down to the bone and uh, because you have to do it because there's just so much to do out there. But, um, but I, I think that's something important, especially now as a mom that I realized that, that, you know, there's always, there, unfortunately, because we do live in a, in a hegemonic, you know, uh, racist society, uh, it, things are going to continue the way they are. But what brings me joy and what brings me hope is all these different efforts that so many people are doing. I mean, even having this podcast and being able to help people to elevate these experiences to others is, is revolutionary, right? Um, because this is the reality of where we are at now as a society to, to be able to talk in and communicate with others. And so these, these running spaces, you know, the arts that we continue to do, the education, the, the doctors that are out there challenging, you know, so many things that are wrong within the medical field, right? And just all of the, it's everyone's small efforts that lead to the collective good and to the collective like liberations of our people. So, so I just, you know, hope that we continue in that way, continue and communicate and that we act with compassion for ourselves and others. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Raquel, you're next. Uh, we're not gonna know what Mixpet did until the very end, just to add more pressure to you, because I've noticed that whenever we have two people, the person that goes first feels very pressured to be in first. And then the second person is like, oh gosh, now I have to follow that. And how much time am I gonna get? So we'll, we'll compare your times at the end. So Nathan, if, if you're ready. Oh, so you're timing us? Like whoever. <laughs> so show them the clock, Nathan. More? Oh yeah. No, no, we're not timing. Okay. Two minutes. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, I, I think what I want to focus on is similar to what Mikshpa said. Uh, I, I've been, you know, I'm on this trip I shared with all of you and, and really experiencing some traveler's guilt of, of um, having this, I, like, this privilege to travel because we had access to the vaccine and a lot of people still don't have access to the vaccine. Um, and so then what does that mean? It just, I, I think, uh, like at least in my circle, like just asking friends like that we continue to take care of one another to create safety space, like spaces for everyone. Um, and if we're traveling for work, for anything that, that we, that we're conscious of where we are, who's around us, um, and, and continue to take care of one another. And then in the running world, you know, today was the first time that I 
ran outdoors or this week has been the first week since the since the pandemic that i've been able to run outdoors like every single day um and and feel comfortable you know i there i mean it's not a very populated city so i'm able to do that but even when i was running in 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 the downtown like i wore my like I was conscious of wearing my mask because I know that not everybody's vaccinated. I know that not everybody has access. And so just asking friends and, and family just to take that little step. I know it's hard to run with the mask. I know it, it isn't the best feeling, but, but it's okay. You know, it, like it's just one small sign of showing somebody else that you care about them, that you care about their health. So, I, I would just ask that that we continue to take care of one another as the pandemic seems to ease um, and hopefully soon go away um, in all circles, whether it's running, walking out, downtown work, whatever. Um, I know restrictions are going to change in just a few days, but there's still a lot of people that are vaccine hesitant. There's still people that have the right to not get the vaccine, right? So just like that, we just take care of each other. I think that's so important. Um, and because that's the only way I think that we will see an end to this, see an end to, I mean, so many of us have lost so many people. Um, and it, it just, and has created so much fear in different communities because of the lack of access. And so I, I just think that we, we must continue to take care of one another until, until it's completely over. Um, and I know that it means sacrificing, right? But I, it, it's okay because we've lost so many. I mean, we lost one of our running mommies. And when you think about like, well, maybe if the person that she got it, it's just so many questions unanswered for anybody who's lost anybody due to the pandemic. Um, so that's my only plea. And my only ask is that, that we continue to take care of one another. Nathan? time it is true we did, did time this as always um we had a, a 236 and then a 309 and i even used the lap function on my <laughs> iphone like you know two runner fashion like we're on the track the the funny thing is raquel you almost stopped at a point where the times would have exactly matched the marathon times of our sports legacy segment from an hour ago it was that oh, wow. that close. But wow. you said really amazing things, so it's all for the best. That brings us to the end of our show. Um, I, I want to thank our guests, Mish Pele and Raquel Roman of Running Mommies in LA, our first LA podcast um, guests, for joining us. Thank you so much, even though, Raquel, we know you're in, um, in Oaxaca right now. And we're all maybe, at least I'm very jealous of that. Um, really, you said both of you incredible things to, and appreciate you sharing your stories. And I think, you know, really wonderful lifelong lessons. And this is a story that keeps getting written about how to make running world better for everyone all over and how it intersects with the real world. Um, so thank you so much. I want to thank, of course, my co-hosts, Jamie and Inez. Inez is also our producer and editor and founder. Um, and and as you can't shake your head every time I say that. Um, 
And of course, to our listeners, thanks for joining us. And we will catch you on the next episode of Let's Get Uncomfortable. Thanks for listening to Let's Get Uncomfortable. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us on the App Store and follow us on Spotify.